0: This is Jay Kwon and this is Foundation Lesson Number 46 The Blueprint, Curtis Blow, The King of Rap And This is a lesson that is long overdue Uh, if we're going in chronological order I could have really done Curtis Blow amongst my first two or three lessons and the only reason that I have not done a Curtis Blow lesson as of yet is because I felt like because he is and was such a superstar in the genre that he was well known, one of my or more well known than most, you know. One of my goals with what I do with these lessons is to chronicle those who are a little less known. So, like you know, Larry Smith played on a lot of Curtis Blow records, but there's not much out there at all on Larry Smith. So there are a lot of people that were put before Curtis Blow simply because he was such a superstar that you at least knew the major part of his discography or the more successful part of his discography. And he had a discography to speak of. You know, a lot of the guys that I cover don't have a strong of a discography. So I, I felt like Curtis Blow was good as far as his place in the annals of history. And there is a lot that he is not credited for, but I mean, he's been in major movies. He's been the first to do a lot. And I'll start off with that, all the first that Curtis Blow uh, was actually responsible for. And that's why I call this lesson The Blueprint. Curtis was actually the first rap superstar. You know, when interviews recently I've heard, or in a interview recently, I've heard him talk about the uh, chronological order of rap records and he says he was the fourth, with uh, King Tim the Third by the Fatback Band being first, Rapper's Delight by the Sugarhill Gang being second, Spoon and Rap by Spoonie G being third, and then uh, The Breaks and Christmas Rapping, or actually uh, Christmas Rapping first, and then The Breaks being right after. Now, within that group of artists, uh, the Sugar Hill Gang definitely became stars uh, overnight, superstars, first rap superstar group. Spoonie G never reached superstar status. Spoonie's a dope MC, started with the Treacherous Three, did a record with the Treacherous Three, came back and and, and did solo stuff on Enjoy, came back and uh, late 80s you know to, to run in the golden era have a good run in the golden era on tough city records and Spoonie g's definitely got his history you know ran through sugar hill records and, and did a few joints but never came anywhere near being uh you know a, a rap superstar of those four and of course we you know kington the third is a very obscure record even though it uh I think it beat rapper light by a couple weeks maybe if that much you know it's seen as historically the first rappers Light being the first uh successful and then uh, Curtis Blow, not too long after. So Curtis Blow was the first solo rap artist to sign to a major label. He was the first of any kind of rap artist to sign to a major label. You know, everything before Curtis was on uh, independent labels, Enjoy, Sugar Hill, and, and the you know Sound of New York, and those kind of record labels. Well, Curtis signed into Mercury Polygram. He was definitely the first uh, rap artist to sign a major deal and he was also, again, the first rap superstar, the first rapper that was producing other artists and producing in a major way, um, discovered other artists. First rapper to move to Cali, and when I say move to Cali, I don't mean just, oh, this rap guy who made a few records, he lives in California now. I mean, like, what it meant to move to Cali in the 80s, like, you know, it was in Jet Magazine and News Magazine that this person has relocated to California. Because of on the strength of the success of his records, Curtis was the first to do that. As far as his productions, uh, he, you know, you'll know, you see his name on Sucker MCs. You'll see his name on Problems of the World by the Fearless Four. Unquestionably, one of their you know best records, if not their best record, F4000, um AM, PM, which had a very similar beat to the F4000 with that signature hand clap that we used to love. Curtis Blow in production on that uh, by Jekyll and Hyde. A.M.P.M. and Fast Life by Jekyll and Hyde. Curtis Blow in production on Games People Play. Curtis Blow in production on Jailhouse Rap and other Fat Boys slash Disco 3 records. In fact, you know, highly, highly responsible for discovering the Fat Boys and getting them in the studio and getting their deal and, um, and a lot of the writing and arranging on the early uh, early Fat Boys joints. Production credits on uh, you gotta believe by love Bug starsky you'll see his name on, on on several records you'll see Curtis Gold production first rapper to secure an endorsement deal by a major corporation now I will say the Sugar Hill gang did have a Budweiser commercial but it was not an official endorsement from Budweiser but they did have a Budweiser commercial that used to play on the radio in, in, in good rotation, it was, it was a major thing. But as far as having a, a major official endorsement, it was Curtis Blow with his uh, 1985 Sprite commercial. If you look at the movie Crush Groove, and you look at, even though that movie was based on loosely on the life of Russell Simmons, and a lot of those situations in Crush Groove were real. A lot of them were fiction, but a lot of them were fact. And if you go back, and look at the role that Curtis Blow played or the character he portrayed in that movie, it wasn't far-fetched of what you know he really did. Um, as far as his role with Russell, if you go back, I think, on my uh, Larry Smith lesson, I talked about how Rush Groove Productions, which was the name you saw on the first few Run DMC records, Rush Groove Productions was uh, Curtis Blow, Larry Smith, and Russell Simmons, before there was a Def Jam. You look at the first Curtis Blow records. You'll see Russell Simmons' name on them. You'll see uh, Larry Smith because he played bass on a lot of those records. Orange Crush, which was the group that Larry Smith was uh, played bass with, and Davy Dmx was a part of that group. Allison Williams. You know they made Action. Action, of course, is the record that Sucker MCs was based on. Well, Orange Crush was the backing band for Curtis Blow when he initially went out on the road um, touring. Um, of course a run used to dj for curtis blow you know uh for for a minute you know he was billed as the son of curtis blow curtis was one of the first to have success as a a rapper who sang and did r b you know drake is a is a very good singer who raps as well but curtis had some very respectable records um you know as a as a singer uh, one of the first to collaborate with r b artists now, we know he wasn't the first. Uh, Grandmaster Melly Mel did I feel for you with Shaka Khan. I, I, I believe he's credited as the first. But Curtis Blow was in there with uh, Renee and Angela with Save Your Love. I'm pretty, yeah, they were label mates. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Mercury connection there. So he was one of the early ones to do that. So many um, so many things that he did first. Again, he is the prototype. He is the blueprint. Again, I call this lesson, you know, the blueprint, the king of rap because Curtis Blow, to be honest, he's not gonna be on anybody's list of the greatest of all times as far as lyrics. That's not the king of rap title that he holds. He holds the title as the king of rap because he is the prototype. He is the prototype for the rap superstar. The, The way people live it up lavish now and over the top, and even the ones who aren't over the top, just the rap superstar who became successful and, and, and is on a major label and might have rub, rubbed elbows back in the days with some of the major uh, major artists of the time. I mean, Curtis Blow was in all the write-on magazines, the Jet magazines. He was the one, if you go back, people uh, who were around, a 70s baby, should I say. Um, if you look through your parents' records collections, if they have any rap, it's going to probably be something by the Sugar Hill Gang, maybe something by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, but most likely they have a Curtis Blow record or two. In their collection, because those first rap records, they were an extension of the disco that was already out and the feel good, you know. I call it the party people music, because, you know, everybody was, you know, talking about party people. And in their rap, they would always say party people, you know, instruct the party people to do something. It was a party feel good music. So, um, Curtis was right there for that. And he has a legitimate history before rap records. You know, a lot of the rappers who came out in the early days and, and did records are accused of not being authentic and not paying dues. But Curtis Blow was running with Grandmaster Flash and The Furious Five. Um in groups of that caliber, Cool Cow to Star Child. A lot of times when Flash and the Furious Five would separate, which was very often, um, you know, what I'm told is that Grandmaster Flash will have disagreements with the Furious Five over money and, and who made you know, how much Flash made uh Compared to the rest of the groups, they would break up for months at a time. And Charlie Chase might be spinning for the Furious, or he was. Charlie Chase would be spinning for the Furious, you know, in that time of their breakup. And then uh, Curtis would be hitting different spots with Flash, you know, just as an as a MC with Flash. There are tapes out there, live tapes that exist of that. You know, Curtis had legendary DJs. You know, he had AJ, you know, as, as his DJ. He had Davey DMX as his DJ. He had them both perform on the same. On the same record, you know, um, and we'll get into all of those songs. So Curtis has a history of legitimacy. You can't front on Curtis and say, "Oh, he was a disco rapper; he wasn't legitimate." You know, his, his history shows otherwise. If you go back and listen to the song "AJ," when he's saying, "Up in the Bronx, where the people are fresh," and he's he's breaking the history down, he went even deeper on a song called "AJ is Cool," which is when I definitely chronicle. And he was talking about the Hevalo and different, you know, this is real history. You know, not a lot of people talk about the Heavalo. you talking to some cats who actually were at the Heavalo. When you talk to that caliber of cat, you know, this is a Bronx club, um, you know, that Herc and others used to spin at. you talking to, to cats that's really, really getting deep when they talk about the Heavalo. But this is Curtis Blow talking about the Hevalo back in like 85, 86. And I didn't know what he was talking about listening to those records back then. But, you know, now getting my history. And in retrospect, going back and listening to those records, you know, from '85, and listening to what Curtis was talking about. Like he's really talking about the history of how this thing, you know, came about. You know, he's talking about Hurt. the people who now are really coming out and, and being discussed because there's this, you know, it's popular now to talk about the beginnings. Curtis was, you know, way back in in '85 and before talking about those things. So, before I get into the discography again another first for him was you know his first record was a holiday record you know it was Christmas rapping so he actually became not only the first rapper to make a a holiday record but the first rapper to make a record that you know Chuck D often says that Christmas rapping is the most relevant rap record out there because it's played every year just like you know all the other artists who have classic Christmas or holiday records like Nat King Cole and you know, uh, uh, Donnie Hathaway and whoever that we're going to hear every year. You know, every year you're going to hear Curtis Blow and you're going to hear Christmas rappers. So, you know, another first, you know, to, to add to his list of, of, of many, many firsts.
1: Twice the night before Christmas and all through the hold house. it Now wait, hold it, that's played out. Hit it. Gonna shake it, gonna bake it, gonna make it good. Gonna rock, shock, knock it through your neighborhood. Gonna read, gonna sing it till it's understood. My rap been about to happen like a knee. You were slapping, or I told you been tapping on a hunk of wood. Bought a red suited dude with a friendly attitude. And a slave full of booty for the people on the block. Got a long white beard, maybe looks kinda weird. And if you ever see him, he can give you quite a shock. We were all in the mood, so we had a little food and a joke and a smoke and a little bit of wine. When I thought I heard a hoop on the top of the roof, could it be it wasn't me? I was feeling super fine, so I went to the attic where I thought I heard the static. On the chance that the fans was somebody breaking in, put the noise on the top the a reindeer clock. It's a trick, same and I let the sucker in.
0: Now everybody hears Christmas rapping every year, you know, several times a year. We've been hearing it since '79, so. But I did want to discuss on that one. And that's his, his first recording. That's '79. The cadence on that record, um, not even the cadence, uh, the rhyme pattern. Um, by that time, this is early on. Now, this you know, not much had happened before this, other than like I said, uh, King Tim the Third, which many people didn't even hear at that point. A lot of people heard King Tim the Third in retrospect. King Tim the Third didn't get a lot of airplay on the radio. That was a Around The Way record. You probably heard that record at a party or Around The Way. Uh, And like I said, Rappers of Light, you probably heard that, but you you really hadn't heard uh, Spooner Rap too much because that was another record that was definitely, you know, you, you heard that Around The Way. So you didn't have much precedent here, but listening to the rhyme pattern, he's not just rhyming the end of every word. He's rhyming several in the middle and he's doing that he did a long run of that. I love listening to this record every year when they play it because I love the way he he did the. Uh, it's not multisyllabic, but he's rhyming several words within the sentence. Like for instance when he says we were all in the mood so we had a little food and a joke and a smoke and a little bit of wine. When I thought I heard a hoof on the top of the roof, could it be, was it me, I was feeling super fine. So I went in the attic where I heard a little static and a chance at a prank somebody breaking in, but the noise on the top was a reindeer clop. Just a trick, St. Nick, and I let the sucker in. Now, uh, right now in modern times, you know, some youngsters might laugh at that and say, you know, that ain't dope. That ain't lit or whatever they might say about it. But if you listen to that, again, uh, context is everything. Listen to what had been done up to that point. Not many people had done that. Now, if you listen to some old school tapes, of course, you know, you listen to some of the greats who were more worrisome. It had been done before. But again, this was 79. And on a rap record, nobody had really done it. Not to the point that he did. He did most of the song in that pattern. And he did several verses where he... he he rhymed like that. Um, not only the end word, but several words in the middle. And uh, very, very advanced for for the time. Now musically, we got Larry Smith on bass. A nice warm bass line on that. That has been, that song has been sampled and redone. Um, people have rapped to it. Been R&B songs, you know, done to this particular instrumental. There's an ongoing thing about bass lines. This particular bass line, Curtis Blow says this is where Queen got the idea to do another one Bites to Dust, um, which came out probably 80, I guess. Not too long after after these records. Um, that baseline is interesting because if you listen to Good Times by Sheik, which came out summer of 79, then you listen to this one. Then you listen to uh, Queen, another one Bites to Dust. Then you listen to Bounce, Rock, Roll, Skate by Vaughn Mason. All of those have a very, very similar baseline, and I don't think it's a matter of coincidence. Now back then nobody would have said, oh, you bit this. I mean, baselines were like that. If somebody had a bass line that somebody else liked, they just do a variation of it. Play a couple of notes differently, you know, just vary a little bit enough so it's not a complete copy, but that was totally acceptable in the music world. And for those who subscribe to me on Patreon, one of the things that you will receive as a Patreon subscriber are the Many lessons that I talk about. And there's a mini lesson, the first mini lesson that I have is actually it's called that baseline. And it chronicles four or five records with this baseline that we're talking about. And I go inside those records and I talk about the similarities in the baselines and, and that year, that year of 79 through 80, 81 and how many records had that same baseline and that same feel. Now, these records that Curtis Blow was doing, one difference in these and the stuff that was on Sugar Hill is most of the stuff on Sugar Hill, you know, based on the success of Rapper's Delight and what the groups on Sugar Hill were bringing to Sylvia. They would, again, as I always say, when I talk about this particular time period, Sylvia's sons and some of the groups that she assigned would bring tapes of performances like at The Fever or Harlem World or wherever, this music was being performed, they were bringing to her and say, hey, look, this is Hot In The Streets, listen to what they're rapping over. So, you know, as a result, you know, somebody might make a record with the musical backdrop to whatever record was hot at the time. Um, it, it could be Heartbeat by Tanya Gardner, you know, because they were doing the same thing and enjoy, you know, going to Bobby Robinson and say, hey, we want to rhyme off of this one. Or, you know, later on, Tom Tom Club when they had a hot record or whatever was hot in the streets. But they would also go... Back further than what was hot at that time They were, you know, the breakbeats Like Funky President, you know uh, Busy B made a record off Funky President And that same musical backdrop Spoonie G used it for Spoonie's back So, uh, you know, that was that was very common What Curtis, his stuff wasn't based on breakbeats And already existing records These were original tracks That Larry Smith and Russell and company Were coming up with So, I always found it of interest that Kurt took the music from Christmas rapping, which was extremely funky. And I don't know if it was an effort and I didn't get a chance to ask him this. Curtis Blow was the first official interview that I had. Um, The first interview I I, I did back in probably 98 when I first got online doing this uh, 97, 98, whatever year it was, was Van Silk. Van Silk's legendary uh, rap promoter. Um and Van Silk got at me because Curtis Blow was trying to get at me. And long story short, I put a bunch of biographies online and everything I was doing was about the time before Run DMC because I felt like it was a very under covered and underappreciated, under chronicled period in the music. So I started putting up these bios and I put up a bio about Curtis and there was something in the bio that Curtis didn't like. It wasn't that it was necessarily untrue, but he didn't like the way that it sounded. So he didn't know how to get in touch with me and Well, maybe he did, I don't remember, but I know he got to me through Van Silk. And when I talked to Curtis and he asked, could I please take it down? I was like, sure, you know, I'll take it down. Let me get an interview. Now it didn't go like that, I didn't hold him hostage. Like, you know, I'm gonna leave it up there until you interview me. I probably should have done that. But he was very very cool about it. I took it down and we had a very good interview. And um, the interview, it really surprised me because even though I knew that Curtis was official and he knew his stuff, we talked so much about breakbeats. And like grab break beats, and I know you know he was there. You know he was there in the Bronx, and a, as this was was going on, so it was no surprise that he had the knowledge of it. But the way we talked, we talked on the same level that when I talked to Kid Creole from the Furious Five or JDL from the Cold Crush, we talked a lot about breakbeats. And I just didn't have Curtis pegged as that kind of guy because Curtis is a superstar. So we was having a good hip hop conversation, and we had a very good interview. But you know, getting back to the the, the subject at hand. I didn't get a chance to ask him what was his motivation or whose idea was to take the music from super rapping and do rap and blow. Either way, it was a great idea because the music from Christmas rapping was so dope. You know, I wanted to hear him rhyme without it being about Christmas. You know, I wanted to listen to that song at other times of the year. I didn't want it to be confined to Christmas time. You know, I, you know, you 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 would be whack walking around with your boombox or whatever at that time listen to a Christmas song so when he made his full album uh, again one of the first rappers also to make a full-length album that was an official album a lot of the stuff you enjoy they never put out a a full album on an artist Uh, Sugar Hill when they did albums they were either mostly R&B like what she did with the Sugar Hill gang she I guess was maybe a little half R&B half rap But most of those R&B songs, the group wasn't singing. She had people from from the house band and some of her previous artists, they were doing the singing. And the other big thing was when those groups on Sugar Hill would put albums out, as I always say, they were like compilations. A lot of the songs we'd already heard. Sometimes you heard all of them. And it's like, okay, this is a Greatest Hits compilation. You're just not calling it that. You know, you're saying this is a Treacherous Three album, but you know, you got three or four songs that were on Enjoy and three or four songs from Sugar Hill and, and not one new song. So they weren't true albums. Curtis Blow was the first rap artist to do a full album that was looked at as, okay, this is all new material. It may, may be one previously released song, but it's all new material. Now, much of it was R&B because the way that Curtis Blow was marketed and the way that he was accepted by people, he had to do some R&B songs. Like, again, our parents liked Curtis Blow. They bought his records. So our parents, who may not have loved rap, just like Don Cornelius, you know, if you look at the intro from Soul Train, you can tell he, he didn't like rap, which is expected. It's expected that our parents' generation wouldn't like rap because it's totally foreign to them and it just wasn't for them. So between Curtis, his camp and his record label, they had the, this, the you know, the wherewithal and the common sense to say, OK, let's, you know, let's let's make this music commercial and you know, good enough for the kids or funky enough for the kids, but also sophisticated enough for the adults. And that's one word that describes Curtis's whole career of music. It was always sophisticated rap. But someone had the idea to, on his self-titled album, Curtis Blow, that came out in 1980, they put Rap and Blow on there. And Rap and Blow is just the music from Christmas Rapping with him just rhyming about non-Christmas things, and that was a great idea because it extended the life of Christmas rapping without it having to be, you know, um, subject matter-wise about Christmas. And again, to give you context, again, context is very important to me. Rappers Delight came out in about September or so of 79. So we don't have much of the year left. These other records came out after it. So Curtis, you know, just made it in there to, to, to release a record in 79, that was Christmas rapping. So, of course the label, I'm pretty sure, rushed to get his album out because remember, these major labels didn't believe in rap. They didn't think it would be around. So let's capitalize on this, get this out, and make these, you know, these couple dollars we are gonna make because this thing ain't gonna be around much longer. To give you more context and show you how ingrained into the 70s, even though we're right at 80, ingrained into the 70s that all of this was, technology-wise and format-wise, Curtis Blow is the only rap rapper or rap entity outside of the Sugar Hill Gang to have their music released on 8-track. You know, his his self-titled debut album is available on 8-track as well. But again, uh, Rap and Blow, which has the same music as Christmas Rapping, was on that album.
1: What did you say your name was? I see that it's not clear For you good buddies to clean out your ears Listen very close while I pop more game Cause my name's in the hall of fame The K-U-R, the T-I-S The first is the best, I must confess The B-L-O and the W I make you wanna catch the boogaloo flu Now if your name is Annie, get a folk your fanny If your name is Thai, get off your backside If your name is Peach, you don't need a seat Cause I'm Curtis Blow and I'm on the go I'm rocking to the limbs in stereo Just throw your hands in the air and raise one like I just don't care. If you're ready, like Freddie to rock, we'll steady. Somebody say, Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, young ladies, all the ladies in the house say, Ow! And hey, you don't stop, come on, come on, come on Let me see you rock, I get down Stop messing around when Curtis Blow is in your town I'm Curtis Blow on the microphone A place called Harlem was my home. I was rocking one day, it started to shake And so to me, I like an earthquake I packed my bags, I said goodbye I kissed my woman and I started to fly I came to Earth by a meteorite To rock you all on the mic So just kick off your shoes, let your fingers pop Let's go about rock Now the
0: people in the back If not the waxing. Now quick correction The 79 there was a 12 inch to rap and blow And it was probably based on the success of Christmas rapping um, Now I don't remember hearing it back then But there is a 12 inch of, of rap and blow With the instrumental on the flip side So again that had to be right at the end of uh of 79 I can distinctly remember back in elementary school we used to have these christmas parties and the teacher would let us bring records to school and they'd play them on these little gray record players with the big heavy <laughs> heavy arm and the needle that probably destroyed your records but all the kids would want to bring records to school whatever every year you know kids would bring jackson's christmas album and you know whatever other christmas music and it didn't have to be christmas music but most kids brought christmas music and i remember somebody bringing uh Christmas rapping. Just cool. But Rap and Blow was a single in seventy nine. So he did release uh two two singles in seventy nine. Christmas Rapping" and rap and blow. But nineteen eighty was definitely that was the one that really, really it packed the dance floors and it set a, a couple precedents um as a twelve inch rap record. Adding again to his list of firsts, you know, back then any rap records, the 12 inches just had the whatever the record company logo was the record cover. You know, Sugar Hill where had a little candy stripe logo. You know, blue blue background. Enjoy Records had the red background with the enjoy 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 all the way down it. You know, you just didn't you didn't know what these guys looked like. You know, I always wondered as I'm listening on the on the stereo. I wonder what these guys look like. No videos, you know. They hadn't come to your town yet necessarily, and if you were outside of the barrows or the places where these guys perform, even some people in the barrows didn't know what these guys looked like. Now, the thing that would change the lives of so many of us uh, as kids was, you know, in 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 eighty, walking in the store and seeing this yellow record cover with Curtis Blow's picture on the front. So you finally know what he looks like. And it's the first rap single, first rap song to to show you a picture of, of the rapper on it. And it's amongst the first to actually have an instrumental on the flip. You know, a lot of a lot of the early Sugar Hill stuff. They would have a long version, and a short version. You know, Sequence, Funk You Up, you had a long version and a short version. Rappers Delight had a long version and a short version. And somewhere, you know, kind of backtracking within that chronology of Curtis Blow talking about those four records, um, I'm not saying he's not correct, but there were a lot of rap records in '79. A lot of them didn't get past the the tri states. Uh, a lot of them didn't make much noise, but there are a lot of records in '79. But Sequence was a rap record. It was also '79 and it came after rabbit Delight. So it had to come after that September of 79. So again, we don't have but three or four months left in the year by the time September gets here. So people were scrambling, labels and, and label owners were scrambling to get these records out. But however, um, you know, in 80, there was still, you know, long version and short version. And early on, and it was a great idea, on the cover of the breaks it said, the breaks, and then it says on on the other side, the breaks instrumental. Do it yourself in parentheses, and that made everybody, you know, kids, you know, it's like early karaoke. Like, okay, I'm gonna go home and do it myself. But for myself, I couldn't just keep saying his rhymes. So the way I started as an MC was to to do his parts of the breaks, but then inject my own little lines in. And the more I did it, and enjoyed it, and got good at it. I was injecting more of my lines than I was injecting of of his, and after a while, I was doing my own rhyme to the breaks, and that literally was what started me as an MC, and I've heard that story from some pretty huge MCs. If you go back and look at uh, the Art of Rap documentary, somebody mentioned a similar story. I don't know if they said that they did it just like I just said I did it, but they mentioned the fact that the breaks was a very instrumental record for them early. Pardon the pun on instrumental, but it was (laughs) definitely very, Important in their development As an MC and as a fan Of the genre
1: Clap your hands everybody If you got what it takes Cause I'm Curtis Blow and I want you to know That these are the brakes.
0: Were there you know if you weren't there there's no way i can describe it to you in a way that you were fully fully understanding but when i talk about back in the times when rap was fun and this was so early in rap and then rap was so innocent and it locked in so much to you know the, the disco and funk that was already out there you know the cameo stuff that was already in existence and the bar keys and you know things of that nature it just you know it was not perceived as a big difference between what curtis was doing and those records Musically, it was the same music. I mean, that's just that's funky right there, you know. So our parents may not have liked the fact that he was talking over the music, but it was it was a good time, good feeling music. And um, you know, when you hear that bass and and the percussion that's in that song, it's just a perfect record. And that was the record at a party. Everybody was gonna gonna you know really react well to the breaks. Now, I remember talking to Curtis and and when I talked to the Sugar Hill Gang those groups tell me how you know the, the funk groups and r&b groups at the time many of them would sabotage the set of the rappers because they didn't respect rap you know um the rappers would come in with in a lot of cases just the dj and some turntables now sugar hill gang they had a whole band they had the house band and you know curtis had uh, orange crush you know flash and the furious five was one of the first groups that they went out with a dj and um you know the <laughs> the bands would look and say you know where's your band and they just point the Flash, and you know, and they would laugh. They thought it was a joke, so they would, you know, same thing with Soul Sonic Force. You know, I've heard that a lot of the funk groups of the day would just, you know, turn their equipment down or sabotage the mixing board. So when they came on there, their set sounded low, and um, you just all kind of things because they just didn't respect rap. But one thing that Curtis Blow told me that was interesting was that when he went on tour with the Commodores, he didn't say that he had any blatant disrespect towards rap, but by the end of the tour because the power of rappers and the crowd response was so great because the popular thing back in that day was definitely the, you know, everybody say ho, all the ladies say ow. The Commodores were actually putting that into their set. They were combining that call and response into their set because the rappers were doing so well with it. And it got to a point where the rappers would open up for groups like the Commodores. But by the time it was over, many nights, Curtis Blow said he had to close the show out because the Commodores couldn't follow him. You know, so rap early on had a lot to prove, and groups like the Sugar Hill Gang and rap artists like the Curtis, you know, Curtis Blow's out there. You know, say what you will about them for those who try to doubt their authenticity. They kicked the doors in so that we could have the commercial success that that we many of us have enjoyed. You know, o- over the decades, they they set the the foundation and blueprint for that.
1: Hard time, spreading just like the flu You know I fuck it just like you Prices is going up, the dollar's down You got me falling to the ground Turn around, get ready, check out the plot Get ready all people for the future shot. hard time Good gotcha. no. you
0: Again, we talk about history making. Um, you know, Hard Times was a social commentary record. This is 1980. Um, and we know The Message is the first successful record that really, really covered the grittiness of the ghetto and injected the social commentary into rap. But there were other records. Um, and Hard Times, definitely, it wasn't as gritty. It didn't paint as gritty and um, in your face. Uh, commentary the way that the message did but hard times was up there and it was the first time that a rap group or rap artist remade a rap artist song if you listen to run dmc's debut self-titled album they did a version of hard times actually it came out before the album this was probably 83 84 and it was on the same 12 inch with jam master j and hard times you know uh they changed the cadence around a little bit my my good brother uh William Waring, Billy Bill. What's up, Billy Bill? Um, an MC, you know, he's around with Cool Cow. He had a record on Profile called The Old School. And um, Trouble was also on that 12 inch. But Billy Bill, he, he, you know, he's one of the first, uh, I wouldn't, he's not a ghostwriter, you know, because his name was always on the credits. I, I knew Billy Bill before. I, I've known Billy Bill now for probably a decade. Me and I have mean, had some really good conversations at part one of an interview with, with, with Billy Bill. If you go to the foundation of the interviews and we will be doing a part two soon. We've been talking about it for a long time, but he's written for, you know, you look at Sweet G games people play. A lot of the, uh, or a couple of uh, the Fat Boys first uh, records, Fat Boys in particular. The, um, he's got writing and arrangement credits on that. Basketball by Curtis Flow. Um, throughout your years by curtis blow and hard times by curtis blow which was also again uh covered by run dmc and they changed the cadence around a little bit you know they did their kind of it's like that cadence you know run this run dmc had that uh hard times it's spreading just like the flu you know it's going around with the beat boom 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 so they updated it pretty nicely i mean for that record to have come out in 84 four years after Curtis's version, of course they weren't gonna do it the same way Curtis had done in 1980. So they did a marvelous job of updating my man Billy Bill's uh, original original writing. But yeah, definitely a- another first for Curtis to put on this cap.
1: It's so a good to your ear, have no fear, Curtis Blow is here. Ladies in the place with the bass in your face. Check out first place in the MC race. I'm motivating, syncopating, dominating, hesitating, rapping, son of a gun. And I'm looking for participation from the people of the nation, making up a co-creation jam of the one. <laughs> Your mama, your daddy, your sister, your brother, your cat, your dog. I'm just joking.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so the deuce, Curtis Blow's second album, nineteen eighty one. Do to Do was the big record that I remember of, The Deuce. The Deuce, I don't know if it wasn't promoted as much or what, but I think probably because it didn't have a smash hit. Like, you know, the, the first album, you know, had Rap and Blow was on the first album, and then, of course, The Breaks. So, you know, you can't go wrong. But surprisingly, they didn't put Christmas rapping on that first album. And uh, no matter what time, despite the time of year that record came out, it should have had Christmas rapping on it, but it wasn't there. Very surprising. But either way, um, I'd say that the deuce uh, just didn't have a major, major runaway hit like the brakes was. So it, it, to me, it went under, under the radar a little bit, but you got to remember too, by the time 81 came furious five had put a few records out freedom and birthday party and adventures on the wheels of steel had just dropped. Um, It's nasty. And then the sugar hill gang had done eighth wonder and Apache. So it wasn't this little teeny box of, Oh, three or four records have been out, you know, by this time, you know, other groups are into this thing. Some of the parody records and the, you know the, the more you know funny joke records that comedians have put out. And everybody was not everybody, but more people were entering into this thing by this time. So the Deuce fell under the the radar a little bit, definitely in comparison to the first album. But due to do, it became a breakbeat. You know, and that, that's a dope beat on there and a dope bassline.
1: If you party hardy and you make the scene If you got a Jones for a limousine Forget your worries in the way things are Spend the day in the life of a superstar Starlight 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 On Friday morning he checks the news He's number one in rhythm and blues to reckon he tops the sheet and the other stars cannot compete. He hits the notes that are so high. The men just stare and the women cry. They come to see him from near and far. The man they made are superstar. <laughs> Of 28 cars, spends all of his days among the stars. And when he's got to cool out and chills, got a brand new house on the top of the hill. Switch so button down with an ocean view. And every room's got a new TV, and every dog got a pedigree. It's
0: Star Life was another one that uh, William Waring, Billy Bill, wrote that one. And he's just talking about, you know, just living the life of a star. Um, funky music behind that. Typical for, you know, for that time, early 80s, 81. And it's getting hot. You know, it puts me in the mind of uh, Hot Summer Day by uh, Sugar Hill Gang, which was a big hit for them. Um, that's not one people talk about a lot when they talk about the Sugar Hill Gang. But um, hot, hot Summer Day was a hot record. Um, definitely. And another one of those that you know, you just never—we're never gonna get a time like that again. That was just an innocent time. There's always records about the summer and you know, just celebrating the summer and, and that seasonal—that seasonal kind of record. And the music on all of this is funky. You know, uh, the backdrop to all of these songs is, is, is official funk R&B music of that time. And um, uh, again, if you were there, you remember this was just good time music. You could put the album on from beginning to end. Nobody was lo- listening for, you know, a verse to say this verse is the GOAT. You know, rap just hadn't gotten to this point. It was still very much in the vein of good time, urban music. I don't want a lot. I want
1: just enough. So why is it got to be so damn tough? Living on the uptown side of jobs. In the boss stay alive Looking for a 10 and they give you 5 Well it's tough You talk to the boss, the boss is gruff You ask for a raise and they call you bluff You may get some but it's never enough Cause it's tough Strong Like a Mag boss Rough Like a new divorce Mean Like a 3 time loser Bad Like an LA cruiser Down Like a limousine Blind Like a submarine Hard Like Cogart Green That's the rhythm of the beat You hit the street and you look for work You don't want to be some welfare jerk But I wonder how you get to be Captain Co It's tough! Now Kurt has a ship called the Enterprise He cusses the aliens down to size, But I wonder what he do with the uptown guys They're Tough, tough Try to get some cash when you're looking for a raise And they give you trash Rough. When you got it like that And your woman's running around with a baseball bat Hard. Try to play it cool when the girls all know You're an out of work fool tough. How it seems to be Wish I had somebody looking out for me I was walking down the avenue the other day when I heard this crazy sound It was nothing but a guy with a set of drums, but he was really down He said my name is Jack and I'm a rhythm attack when I got a pair of sticks in hand I got Sav warfare on the bass and snare and I'm here to take my stand <laughs> I got juice Digger, digger, I get down. Ha, huh, huh, ha, ha, ha. Ha, ho! Digger, digger, I get down. The next to show was a guy named Joe came in from Kalamazoo. He had a Kango cap with a real smooth rap and he knew just what to do. He wasn't out of work, quick lay a part time, king of pay a board along a set of LPs. Don't do a lot of talking, let my fingers do the work and then I play just as pretty as you please. I got juice. There was a guy with a bass, had a handsome face, and designed the clothes all around He said I'm into threads, don't wear broke, kids, and I can make that funky sound I play Fender Jazz, I got razzmatazz, I got style from head to toe It's a funky sound that I learned uptown, and I'm here to let you know <laughs> I got juice went by when another guy showed up with an old guitar. Well, it had to be from World War III, a run over by a car. Don't look like much, but it's sweet to touch They Don't make them like this today. Well, it's been around, but check the sound, and see what you say. Ha <laughs> ha, I got juice.
0: Yeah, I always love the way that that juice was set up, man. It reminds me, you know, it's nothing new under the sun. Though. You know, Lil Wayne had that song. Uh, been a few years now on one of his Carter albums, but he was talking about, I forgot. It was like this is how we let the beat build, and then something new would come in every time, and then the whole beat would come in. That is exactly what Curtis Blow did here in uh, in '82. You know, he started out. He's telling the story about a drummer and the drum stars playing, and then you know, next person, the keyboard player comes in, and then you know, the guy with a guitar, and then you know, you had a whole full song was pretty innovative at the time you know we got some real songwriting and um real song construction going on here by this time 82 cats were still you know just rhyming over the music and the music was largely funk and disco you know the remnants of disco you know a lot of funk you know live bands playing and just cats rhyming over it braggadocious a little social commentary here and there um we're 82 the message dropped this year and that was the record that just <laughs> took everything over for um uh, of that year, especially that summer, just that's every car that passed by. The message was it, and um, so that's where rap was at the time. So I always liked uh, Juice, I thought that was a very um, it was before his time. Tough, another social commentary record, you know. Curtis had a lot of social commentary. If You go back and listen to the first album again, like I said, throughout your years, and um, even the breaks, it wasn't the message level social commentary, but he you know, he's in a comical humorous way talking about you know things that go on not not nearly as as uh, tackling of, of social issues as as tough and other songs um, that would that would happen later you know most of his albums and we'll see a, a common theme as we go through these albums most of his albums had some kind of social commentary um, embedded within the album tough was a dope song uh, of course, we got a dope Larry Smith, you know, bass line in there. You can hear it. He always has those really warm bass lines. Um, lyrically, Tough was dope. I remember, t- I remember buying Tough on 45 as a kid. I just couldn't wait to uh, to put my dollar and change down and get that 45 and, and get it home before I got the whole album later on. Um... You know, that intro, I don't want a lot. I want just enough. So why has it got to be so damn tough? Of course, DST, probably by mistake, probably queuing the record up to cut it because that became a break beat too, tough. Like that beat right after the intro, that became um, somewhat of a breakbeat. I've seen routines off of that and I've seen people rhyme off of that drum beat. As in 82, you know, you still had the, the last remnants of you know, the live performances at those legendary clubs. Um, you know, it was still going on. We had a new phase about to come in by 82, but you still had remnants of that. And I'm not saying that DST, he never told me this, but I can just imagine that, you know, as in queuing the record up and messing around and just spinning it back and forth, you know, the part where he says, So why has it got to be so damn tough? Uh, when DST did the Mega Mix Part 2, Why Is It Fresh? He's cutting So Why from, from Tough. Those that DJ and know the records know, everybody doesn't know, so I'm just saying that's another little little point to be taken that, that you know, how many years? Probably probably three, four, three, four, five years after, you know, three or four years after Tough, you know, DST comes and it does something really great with it. As simplistic as that was, didn't have to use a fade or anything, just bringing the record back. So why, so why, so why, so why, so why? Dope. Like a lot of cats do they use being real as an excuse for everything if you hear the record skip that's because it's real <laughs> we're keeping it real <laughs> nah, you know curtis blow i don't think he has any albums on cd not um not, no digital music not uh unless it's an import i think i might have saw like kingdom blow or something like that available on c on cd i think he has the greatest hits or something on cd but you know the curtis blow that i have you know in, in most of the lessons i do i'm going strictly from the vinyl so if we hear skip, it definitely is because it's real. But uh yeah, that one, Daydreaming was dope. Um as a kid, I didn't care about daydreaming because I just wanted to hear rap. Once I was into rap, I wanted everything to be rap. Now I still listen to r and Funk, no question about it. But when I was listening to rap, I wanted it to be rap. And um I didn't appreciate Daydreaming until much later. And you know, it going traveling to New York later on, long after this song was relevant at all. It's still such a classic there. I remember being in New York like right around 2000 or so, and I was at some old school function and they played it. And people just mm-hmm. lost their mind. It's just such a uh, such a revered record there. But um, you know, Curtis, you know, Curtis is not by any means a Luther Vandross, but he can hold a note. And that was that was a dope song. The, the beat, the the melody, you know, what he's saying, the cadence of his singing. That's that's is a classic that at the time I did not know was regarded and revered so highly in other places but uh yeah daydreaming is the joint now you stick a pin right there because you know when i talk about some later stuff and i talked about it in the mantronic lesson but when curtis blow and just ice were going back and forth that song was referenced and you know one thing with these lessons you know they could be a lot shorter but because i feel like i i go off subject too much and i mean people keep saying no i like i like the little you know the little points when you go off And I almost didn't mention on the the Mantronic lesson that Just Ice and Curtis Blow had their issue and this is what they were saying about each other on the records because I thought everybody knew it. And I have to stop assuming that everybody was listening to rap records. This is not me patting myself on the back by any means, but as you can tell from listening to my, my lessons and the detail that I cover, I was ferocious with my uh, appetite for rap, and I listened very intently to everything that was being said. And, and I, you know, I was able to draw the parallels between, oh, this is saying this, and this record, you know, correlates to this record. So that's that's what I do. So, um, you know, I can't assume that everybody caught that and so many people on the on the mantronic lesson when i talked about just ice they was like oh i never knew that that's what they were saying that just ice had a problem with curtis blow so stick a pin there and daydreaming because that's that's going to be a relevant point later on down the line 1983, Party Time. And the album is also titled Party Time with a question mark. And Curtis is standing in front of the unemployment office and there's a long line of uh, black people standing there on the unemployment line. Uh, And as you look at the cover, I wouldn't have known back then because I didn't know who Full Force was at the time. None of us really did. But you can see Full Force, uh, members of Full Force, uh, Baby Jerry and and those cats standing there and also of interest on that on the hook party time when they're singing that's full force and you can hear in the beginning a little scatting part you know we know now you can definitely tell okay that's bowlegged lou but back then again i would have known who bowlegged lou was because full force had not put out an album or a song as full force as of yet um first go-go and rap collaboration ever now pump me up which came out around 80 it's never seen as one of the early rap records, but Pump Me Up is a by Trouble Funk, another go-go band. I don't want to get too far off into the go-go thing, but it's it's very relevant, so I'm gonna have to jump subjects for a minute. Pump Me Up by Trouble Funk, you know, whenever I speak on that, I always talk about the fact that it was an early rap record and an early break beat. You know, they were rapping on Pump Me Up, and these are DC cats in a go-go band. And they're rapping just as well as any other rap record at the time. In fact, Pump Me Up was one of the better rap records of 1980. It was official. Um, and it became a breakbeat early on. And then even later on, in the late 80s, and by the time you had the, the DMC competitions, you know, the, the DJ competitions, you know, every DJ had at least two copies of Pump Me Up to do routines to. So, you know, the go-go and rap thing, you know, you can go and check my Trouble Funk, lesson is one of the early lessons it's probably like maybe six or seven or something like that but uh, I based it on the interview that I had with Big Tony which was a very very informative interview a lot of information uh, on the history of go-go uh, the records and everything and being in Virginia only two hours outside of DC you know I saw the go-go thing come in and, and the whole culture of it if you listen to the early trouble funk records like drop the bomb the original dropped the bomb, you can hear them shouting out Richmond because you know we're so much a part of that culture of uh, the DC go-go, we're, we're right there. So anyway, as Curtis Blow tells it, the reason that he wanted to collaborate with EU, and of course EU is the group that made the butt, and to a lot of people outside of this uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia, Mid-Atlantic area, the first time they heard go-go described as go-go was the butt. Or the first time they heard a collaboration of go go and rap was when they saw Salt and Pepper collaborating with EU. EU is Experience Unlimited, which has a long history, long long history. So shout out to Sugar Bear and, and EU. But you know, back in the early '80s, when the Rap Cats came to to different cities, or came to DC actually, not different cities, when they came to DC. As good as the rap show was, I spoke earlier of the call and response and how dominant it was and how everybody who played with rappers on, on a bill or on a show, they tried to incorporate the call and response thing because it just had the crowd, you know, turn them turn it into a frenzy. But one thing the rappers couldn't uh <laughs> they couldn't convert that go-go audience, because the go-go audience is loyal and you just gotta gogo is a, mu- a music to be experienced live you know the records are good but you have to experience gogo live to really appreciate it and cats like you know me and master g talk about it all the time the first time they saw gogo perform live and they had to follow a go-go act you know on stage um and curtis blow when i talked to him he said that he played capitol center in dc and that rare essence blew his ass off the stage so hard that he had to uh, find a way to okay, I got to incorporate this into my music. So in '83, this is the same year that Sucker MCs came out, providing some context. Again, remember Curtis Blow is very active in the career of Run DMC early. He's very active in in their uh, their first recording, but that same year he puts out his Party Time album. As far as social commentary goes, you know Curtis Blow doesn't get credit for a lot of things. Curtis Blow is criminally underrated. Um, for you know, for some reason, I mean, I, I kind of know some of it, but I'll keep it to myself. But there, there does seem to be—he says it, those close to him say it, and I have seen it myself. There's a concerted effort uh, to keep Curtis Blow outside of the historical uh, place that he should be in. Um, there definitely is. He should be a lot more mentioned than he is. I mean, he's a household name, but still, he should be a lot more celebrated. We want to go in chronological order of who should be celebrated. There's been many people celebrated and awarded uh, before Curtis Blow. And again, he is the blueprint rap superstar. And I say that because I had a when I interviewed him, we were talking about social commentary and rap. And it's interesting when you interview people, you know, people, the way an artist looks at themselves and their work versus how other people look at it. Either cats are really, really humble and they don't give themselves enough credit or they exaggerate their accomplishments. So when I t- first talked to Curtis Blow, and this has been, wow, almost 20 years ago, and he was saying, um, yeah, man, you know, as far as uh, social commentary, I was the first to put social commentary in rap with the breaks. And when he said it, I kinda, it went in one ear and the other. I probably chuckled to myself, cause I was like, yeah, the breaks wasn't social commentary, bro. But you know, I'm just doing the interview and you know being respectful of him, I respect what he said. And I went back and listened to the breaks and I still said, nah, that's not really social commentary. But I listened to the full album, you know, that the breaks was on, the the self-title album, and throughout your years, definitely social commentary. And then the Tough album. And most of his albums, there was social commentary throughout it. But Tough and Party Time, the themes of them are definitely social commentary. Again, not as gritty and directly delivered to the ghetto with the the visionary imagination of the message. But definitely is there. If you look at the Party Time cover again, the question mark behind Party Time, I didn't pay attention to it as a kid because when this album came out, I think I was 13. But this album, which is really an EP, it had about five songs on it, maybe six. And I had uh, yeah five songs. So back at that time, albums really generally rap albums or any other albums back then, they had like sometimes six or seven songs because songs were longer back then. I remember Isaac Hayes would put out an album with four songs because one of his songs might have literally been 13 or 15 minutes. And just albums back then definitely weren't more than 10 songs. The 10-song album was long in the 80s. So this was more like an EP. They didn't really use that word EP back then, extended play, but this was more like an EP, and on the front it actually said "special low price," and I, I don't mean on the sticker, on the actual album. It's printed "special low price," and I remember this album. You know, back then albums might have been like six ninety nine, seven ninety nine, no more than eight ninety nine for an album, and this one I remember it being like four ninety nine or five ninety nine. It was it was cheaper because it wasn't a full album, even by the standards of the '80s. So this was an outstanding album, and I, I'd say it's the last album of a certain period for Curtis Blow and his sound and his, uh, what should I say, and his position in rap. Now this is just my opinion as a fan of the music and a, and a collector of it and a chronicle of the history, a chronicler of the history. I will say that this was the last of his, I don't want to say adult themed album albums, but this is the last album that like my parents would have enjoyed. You know, like my parents could have, could have, you know, could have grooved to Party Time or Nervous, which I'll play Nervous in a minute. They could definitely appreciate those songs. You know, like I said, the rhythm is still a lot, the music is still a lot uh, in the vein of what urban music was at the time. This was the last album that he would be that particular Curtis Blow. And I think I'm gonna do a part two on this because I've never done a two hour lesson and I don't think anybody wants to hear me for two hours. So. What I'll probably do is end somewhere in the very near future here And then pick back up in part two That would be a perfect time to pick back up Because after this album, the next album and songs on that album They represent a new direction and sound for him That's a lot more in tune to what uh, young people are listening to at that time He's a lot more in the vein of what the Run DMC type groups And the profile record type groups are doing with the stripped down beats and even the subject matter. He's still commercially uh, viable at that point, still uh, radio friendly and commercial friendly, but a lot of what he does on the albums from here on out are a lot more in the vein of what's happening in the streets musically than the other albums where it could have been like his label mates, like the Barcades and people like that. His music was interchangeable with the Barcades and, and people like that, where from after this Party Time album on, it was much more of a uh, of a, uh, a street rap t- tone and, and sound to his albums.
1: You talking to me? You make me nervous. Bear, 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 bear. has got this inclination to think this ain't the land of milk and honey Missiles every place and destroy the human race and everyone is crying for more money There's an actor and a spy who can't
0: Hey man, that was my song as a kid. I can remember this album. Before I'd actually bought the album, um, they used to play Nervous on the radio. This is when AM was still relevant. And there was an AM station that used to play Nervous in regular rotation and party time. And for some reason I didn't have the album yet. I hadn't gone out to get the album. And I heard Nervous and I really liked it. I remember calling the request line one day, all day on a Sunday. I'd never forget it for them to play Nervous and they finally played it. That's back when the radio actually had a request line and they actually would play your request if you made a request and it was weird because like i said this record will play all the time but this particular day they just hadn't played it yet and i wanted to hear nervous and they finally played it you know if you're a rap fan that got into rap run dmc and after you know you just missed out on a certain you know there's this there's this thing of certain ones of us who are certain ages there's an appreciation you have when you know what rap sounded like before rap went to the stripped-down beats. As much as I love the stripped-down beat era, as I always call it the drum machine era that really dominated right after Run-DMC Made Sucker MCs, I love that era, but I also love the era of those first rap records, and that's a complete continuation of the funk and R&B and even some of the pop and rock music that came before it. You know, if you understand that whole gamut of music, what came in the in the you know late '60s throughout the '70s, especially the mid and late '70s, and then when rap records started to drop, you know you have a certain appreciation because rap was a continuation in so many ways of of the funk and everything that was out in urban music. So a lot of people who got on board with rap music after Run DMC, um, and even you know later than that, they're used to a certain kind of sound that's very repetitive almost a looped type sound very stripped down that that's their rap and a lot of people can't really go this far back and appreciate it because it's too musical for them and for those people i say they really missed out on a great period of music because you know the way curtis uh sang the hook on here was very uh i thought he did a very good job vocally with his singing the cadence of his rhymes, you know, every every verse, you know, like when he said, uh, "There are brothers who are sisters and misses who are misters." You know, he his cadence was a different rap cadence on here. And that line he just said, you definitely couldn't say that today. Imagine somebody saying today anything uh, close to that. I remember Duke Booty saying something similar on, uh, I believe it was New York, New York, when he said, "Um." Down in the village, you might think I'm silly, but you can't tell the women from the men sometimes. it's sugar and spice and everything nice, but when you get them home, you will tell them what you find. Man, you say something like that today, they'll be ready to mute you. And that's crazy how things have progressed or regressed or however you want to say it. But, you know, being an MC and a lover of poetry and the written word myself, the spoken word, I, I love checking out stuff like, again, his his cadence was, or his rhyme pattern and rhyme structure on this song was, uh, my generation has this inclination to think this ain't the land of milk and honey. Missiles every place can destroy the human race, and everybody's crying for more money. There's an actor and a spy who can't see eye to eye, Well, who gives them the right to run the place? There are brothers who are sisters, and misses who are misters, and things keep falling down from outer space. Again, those who may not be familiar with the context of time and and rhyme patterns at the time won't see that as anything great or complicated. But that was not the general cadence of a rhyme back in those days. The general cadence of a rhyme was just rhyming the last word with the first. I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah in the place to be and you know whatever, whatever, I'm the best MC. You know, that was the cadence. You know, this dude is, once again, like I pointed out previously, He's rhyming words in the middle of his uh, his sentences and catching the uh, the ending rhyming word. And one thing I, I like too on just about every album, either on the back of the cover or somewhere in the liner notes, Curtis always had the words to his songs, so you could you know follow along. Like a lot of albums did back then, you know, liner notes were very important back then. Album covers, you know, you could just weren't any videos back then and. One of the enjoyable things about breaking open a record outside of getting the smell of that new vinyl and dropping it on the platter and putting the needle on it outside of that satisfactory feeling was just staring at the cover and see who seeing who produced what as you're listening and then reading along to the words. And he always put the words on the back of his uh, his records. Also. Lyrically, when he said uh, there's an actor and a spy who can't see eye to eye or who gave them the right to run the place. This is the Reagan era where there were so many songs about Reagan. You had a song called Reaganomics. You know, every message song talked about Reagan and his policies. And, you know, I I wasn't old enough to be politically very politically aware back then, but I knew through rap music that Reagan was not serving my community uh, in the way that we wanted to be served. Rap alone told you that. And your parents you know, bitching about their paycheck and about everything else in the house also solidified that further. But rap music was teaching me about the Reagan policies as they related to urban America. And I also thought it was very good writing instead of him just saying, oh, you know, uh, Gorbachev and and Reagan or, or whoever the players are, are doing this, you know? No, he's saying an actor and a spy. You know, he's he's letting you have to think. The actor, of course, is Ronald Reagan, who used to be an actor, and you know, Gorbachev, who used to be a spy. I really love the fact that he said that instead of just saying Reagan and Gorbachev. You know, it was just, you know, uh, it was not lazy writing. You know, he was he, he's letting you put the pieces of the puzzle together, and I really like that. So again, um, I'm going to conclude. Part one at this point. I hope you found it interesting, enlightening, educational, and all of those good things. And I'll be starting part two up with the Ego Trip album. And that's when, like I said, on Ego Trip, from there on, he had a very decidedly uh, different sound. And he had to, if he wanted to continue to keep up. He had the sense enough to say, or his management, somebody on his team had sense enough to say, okay, we got to keep up with the sound. And it's funny, a sound that he was part of giving birth to, the Run-DMC sound, we got to keep up with that. So, you know, Curtis has his foot in two different eras. He has his foot in the era that he's a part of with the uh, you know, disco-sounding, first, you know, funk, funk-oriented, first rap records. Then he has his foot s- solidly in the next era, you know, with his name on all of these Run-DMC records, the Fearless 4 records that sound very different from his records. And then he himself has to give in to that genre that he helped to create, or he was at least a part of the creation of. Um, and of course the Eagle Trip album is the album that had AJ and Basketball and those songs. They are decidingly different than what he had before. Again, my parents would, would definitely groove to the breaks. They definitely vibe out to uh, Starlight, you know, way out west and and all of those songs party time but not so much aj maybe basketball but he got a little more a lot more hardcore on the ego trip album still a commercially uh, friendly cat a non-threatening uh and i don't mean that in a negative way sad that i even have to say that but you know he was not a threatening cat and that was a good thing at the time you didn't want to be threatening so uh definitely that concludes part one part two coming very very soon there will not be a long lag between one and two you're gonna get two very soon peace and respect
1: this is Curtis Blow with the latest trend you got to know what's out and what's in talking about the taste the one that's right now more than ever it's, it's right lemon taste and lime taste great lemon taste is tough without lime, it's not happening so sorry seven up now na, no, no, train, so tell it to a friend, we're chillin' out with the taste that's in Now more than ever Now more than ever It's right